Um, just as John said, you know, our, our series is Becoming His Church. And, you know, that's, that's not just the ser- title series. That's really what we want to be as a church. Uh, we put in a lot of time, you know, trying to, like, you know, make sure our mission statement is, is, is right. It's biblical. It's sound. And, and I think our mission statement captures so much of, of, of what we want to be. That, and, and that we want to be just unapologetically, just unapologetically, people who are, who are living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Living it out. Which means we want to be disciples. We want to be growing. We want to know. But it also means that we don't just want to grow and and know and have knowledge, but we want to live out the gospel and live out the gospel such that when we are proclaiming the gospel, our lives are consistent with that. And we don't just mean each of us is consistent, but that we all together are this, this church that is the evidence of who we are. And you know, we, we sometimes miss, we sometimes miss the miracles. And it's, I think, because sometimes they get kind of, kind of, kind of masked, you know, masked with just the normal and the typical. We always think like, like if God, if you're going to do a, mu- a miracle, could you do it like in the movies where there's maybe a light shining or maybe the music crescendos or something to let me know miracles happening? And sometimes the, what's happening is, is it's the miracles are happening, but they're happening not in a moment. They're happening in a series of moments. And it may be weeks, months, years. You know, last night we just had this, this thing, which is just like just getting together down in the fellowship hall, you know, got pounding some mochi, having a fellowship time, and you know, without any real program, something weird happened. Without any program, people just talked to each other. And they enjoyed being together. There wasn't this eye on the clock. And it wasn't just people talking to the same people they talked to, which always drives me crazy. Like, we get the whole church together and, you know, the same Sunday school class talks to this, each other. You know, it's like, you guys talk to each other every, every week. Go talk to somebody else. But those are little things. Little things that I've seen over the, you know, past few years, and especially in this past year. More and more people so much in love with God's Word. Wanting to to know more, wanting to study more, wanting to understand more. More and more I see this church understanding the need to be a community and not just be a collection of individuals who happen to believe the same thing and get together a couple times. I so want to invite you, if you're, this is your first time here, or maybe you're a longtime member and you're like, ah, that's kind of different, that's kind of new, that's not what I'm used to. Get used to it. Get used to it. That's what it means to be his church. This pen, by the way, and if you want one, please, um, 
And if you lost yours, shame on you. But I'll give you another one. There's a legitimate reason to also is because you can give this out. My wife and I, you know, gave these to you partly because it's a gift, but also because we want you to use it. So we, not, we, only, we don't only want you to remind yourself of who we are in Christ, this community of disciples of Jesus united by the Spirit, but it's also a way you can give it to someone and say, hey, that's our website. You want to hear the word proclaimed? We got two guys on there. One is super handsome and the other's a great preacher. Um, <laughs> you choose which one. No, I'm kidding. Um, but they can hear the word. You can, you can listen with them. You can say like, you know, why don't you listen to this one in particular and I'll listen and then let's get together and talk about it. I love the fact that of what God is doing in this church. And I don't want you to miss it. So when we're asking you to come to stuff, we're not asking you to come to stuff because we want big attendance. I think John and I have made something really clear. We don't care how big this church is. All we care about is the quality of relationships, the quality of love. That's what it means to be his church in love with God, in love with his word, in love with each other. And it's so abundant. It so becomes abundant here and it becomes abundantly clear. Don't miss it. If you want to just keep showing up and you know, live in your silo, that's fine. You, you can do that. I do not want to chase you away. But I want to invite you become a part of what's going on here at this church. Last week, we had the first part of this sermon on following God's plan when we don't understand. And, and we found Paul, and remember, it's Paul going to this, um, you know, getting this clear message from God. You're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. He knows he's going to Rome. But for some reason, instead of going straight to Rome... He goes to Jerusalem because God also says, go to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem and he's going to go to the temple. And part of the reason he's going to the temple is because it's what a good Jewish person would do when they traveled abroad. They would go to the temple, they'd be purified. It's also partly to kind of make peace with the new Christians. There's a lot of new Christians in Jerusalem that Paul doesn't know. And they don't necessarily like Paul. They've heard bad reports about Paul, you know, false, you know, false things about Paul, and plus he's, you know, out there ministering to the Gentiles. And so Paul, Paul pays his own money to help these, these, these four young Christian men complete a vow. And so they go to the temple. Okay, that's great. But then Paul gets ambushed. He gets attacked. He gets, you know, put on trial. Eventually, he gets taken from Jerusalem and he gets taken up to Caesarea. And there in Caesarea, he's been for two years. Remember, this is Paul who was told very clearly by God, you're going to Rome. And for two years, it's, he's been going anywhere but Rome. 
And now he's been in for two years in, in prison in Caesarea. The governor, the proconsul, gets taken out. A new one comes in. And it looks like this process could start all over again or worse. And so last week, last week, we had the new proconsul, Festus. He's in charge. He's trying to, you know, look and trying to figure out, you know, his job that he has to kind of govern this area. And he sees this case of Paul, and he goes back, you know, to Jerusalem, tries to investigate. He then, you know, has those, the religious leaders who are accusing Paul of all these things come to Caesarea. And then, you know, Festus has this idea. And part of it is, you know, Festus is trying to do what is right, but part of it is Festus is trying to solidify his position as the leader. What better way than to take this case that's been going on for two years, go back to Jerusalem and hold a trial that he will preside over and everyone will get to see what a just and proper leader he is. Paul says, no way. No way. I know what will happen when we go back to Jerusalem. And Paul knows God has called him to go to Rome. And so now we come to this time when Festus is kind of stuck. He doesn't know what to do. So in verse 13 of chapter 25 in Acts, it says this, Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me? both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer? 
But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Paul's already kind of living in this bizarro world where things aren't making sense. He's supposed to go to Rome, but he's not going to Rome. Two years or more have passed. He doesn't really see an end in sight. And then this Festus guy comes along, and he's trying to solve it. He's trying to fix this. But if you look at what Festus is saying, the obvious solution he is not taking. Festus himself has said, I find no reason to condemn this man. By the way, those of you who know your Bible, know that another governor of the same area said the same thing about Jesus. I find nothing wrong with this man. And we know how that ended for Jesus. Paul doesn't believe he's filling Jesus' role to go die for his faith and then be resurrected. No, Paul has another, has another objective which God has given him to go to, to go to Rome. But he says, I don't have anything to charge him, so what, what should he have done? Let him go. Let him go. But he doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Festus wants to do the right thing, but the question is, how does somebody like Festus define what is right? Is it what's right for Rome? What's right for the Jewish people? What's right for Paul? Oh, and to make it even weirder and not Mickey censor anymore, that make, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's this Agrippa guy and Bernice. Notice a little detail was left out. It's not King Agrippa and Queen Bernice. Who is this Agrippa guy? Well, we shouldn't be confused by the word king. He's not a king in the sense of how we think of king as some kind of absolute authority. He's appointed king by Rome, by the emperor, and really his main job was to be in charge of kind of the, the religious establishment for the Jews. One of his jobs would, would have been to appoint the high priest. And you can imagine that gives him a lot of power. Agrippa is barely Jewish. He wasn't, he was raised in the, in the imperial household. He was raised Roman. He's barely Jewish. And he's in charge of the Jewish religious system. He's much more Roman. And he may not even be a very good Roman. Bernice is not identified as queen because she's not his wife. She's actually his sister. And there's 
there was strong rumors even then that they were in an incestuous relationship. It's Bernice. Bernice is sometimes called not complementary, but she's sometimes called the Cleopatra of this of the you kind know, of the Judea. She has several husbands or lovers who are very powerful. Understand, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice are going to be determining Paul's fate. Does this make any sense? If you're Paul, you're like, really, God? Why didn't you just get three monkeys? Why didn't you, you know, why didn't you just, you know, just randomly pick anybody? You picked people that are so, like, into this whole power structure. They're so into what's in it for me. I mean, look at just that one word. That one word we see in the text where it says on verse 23, the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. Great pomp. You don't even have to know what pomp means to know what pomp means. It's all about the presentation. It's all about the ceremony. It's all about demonstrating your power. In, in this day and age, Festus is the more powerful person than Agrippa. But Festus asked Agrippa for help. And Agrippa is not going to lose this opportunity to cash in, right? First of all, I'm going to help Festus. That's going to help me. But I'm also going to make sure as many people as possible know that I'm doing it. So who else is in this, in this group? Well, all the military leaders are there. And all the great men of the city. That guy and his sister lover are going to be deciding Paul's fate. Does it make sense? Not from our perspective. It doesn't make any sense at all. Festus could have let Paul go. Festus could have made up charges. Could have done all kinds of things. But no, now Paul, his path to Rome goes through a decision that's going to be made by Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Unless, unless, unless you look at it from God's perspective. If Paul had said, let's go back to Jerusalem, and he's even willing to die for his faith, okay, he dies, we would probably still revere Paul, we'd still, um, you know, look at Paul, we'd, we'd still read his letters that he had written up to that point, we'd still be influenced by Paul, Paul's 
impact wouldn't have been diminished and maybe stronger because now he's this great martyr. If Festus just let him go, Paul probably heads off to Rome. What Paul would not have had the ability to do, he would not have had the opportunity to evangelize, to share the gospel with the most powerful people in that region. He would never have had that audience. Next week, we're going to read about that. Next week, we're going to see Paul's asked to speak, and Paul comes forward, and he speaks, and he shares the gospel. He shares what Christ had done in his life. He's never given that opportunity. In fact, the whole idea of Paul appealing, this makes no sense. And it makes no sense for Festus to accept the appeal. How can Festus accept an appeal for something that there's no charges against? It would be like if you just walked into a court of law and you weren't on, on trial and you just said, I want my case appealed to the Supreme Court and the judges can look at you like, what is wrong with you? Why are you here? You know, take him away. Paul doesn't even have charges. Festus met with his advisors. He met with his counsel and they said, we don't have charges, but he appealed, so I guess we got to send him. Again, makes no sense. Why didn't Festus just go back to Paul and say, hey, Paul, you know, we don't really have any charges. You appealed. If you retract that appeal, I'll just let you go. That's cleaner. No. If there's no appeal, there's no quandary for Festus. And Festus would have no reason to contact the king. He would have no reason to ask for the king's advice, and there would be no reason to bring this whole group together. I wish we had follow-up stories. I wish we knew. We know from, from history that very early in Christian history, as early as the first century, powerful, influential people are being drawn to Christianity. We don't have any follow-up to this. We don't know if any of these people respond. But we know this, Paul faithfully proclaimed the gospel. And he was given this opportunity, he was given this opportunity not because he went the way that seemed to make the most sense. In fact, as we'll talk about next week, Festus pretty much gives him a blank check. He just says, Say what you want to say. Defend yourself. Paul goes, great, thanks. Kind of on a personal level, if you think about this, what if you, what if you had an opportunity to kind of meet with the most powerful people in Hawaii? Or you just got to have lunch with the governor. And what if in having this sit-down, the question of faith came up? What would you say? Would you be ready? 
Would you be like Paul and be like, hey, whatever, whoever I'm talking to, I'm ready. I'm ready in any situation. Whether I'm talking to the most powerful person or I'm talking to that jailer in that prison. I'm ready. What would we do if we suddenly found ourselves in the audience of the most powerful people? What would we do? Would we just cry? Would we just like, hey, uh, like the salad, thanks for inviting me. Is that it? Or would we work really hard not to offend anyone while still trying to share our faith? I believe in a greater power. Is that what we'd do? I'm not sure what we'd do. I'm not sure what I would do. But if you added to that, that not only did you have an opportunity to address the most powerful people in Hawaii, but you had been told by God you need to help them understand that we are under judgment. Oh, wait a minute. I thought I'd just get to kind of share the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, it's not good news unless there's bad news. It's not, oh, everything's good and Jesus came to make it gooder. That's not the gospel. It's things are bad, Jesus came to save them, to restore goodness. We were talking about this in Sunday school today, that the prophets, Israel's prophets in the past, I mean, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, and he says, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, killer of prophets. You know, and I kind of joked around, like, what if that was the welcome sign outside your city? You're driving in, you're driving cross-country, and you come to a, you know, town, and you see the name, Evanston, Indiana, killer of prophets. Like, no, we want to say something else. You know, something that will make people want to stop. But he's saying, in the past, the prophets brought God's judgment. They brought hope. They brought the promise of salvation, but they brought judgment. And when you are addressing the people who are in charge, and you are telling them, We're being judged, and we're being judged because of our rebellion against God, and you're in charge of it. It doesn't really go well. I don't know very many people that receive that well. And this even happens sometimes in in the church, by the way. In the church, sometimes, you know, people are trying to, to help but to help, they got to, first of all, help us understand what the problems are. And we don't want to hear the problems. We, we may listen to the solutions, but we don't want to hear the problems. And now Jesus has come along, and, and he is the greatest prophet And though he never said, we don't ever have any record of him saying what some of the Old Testament prophets would say. And some of the Old Testament prophets would say, look, uh, we're being attacked or we're being threatened by those Assyrians. 
That's God's judgment. Just accept it. Repent, get right, but accept the judgment. Jesus never says that about Rome. He never says, Rome, God is using Rome as judgment against his people. But he does say this, repent, repent, repent and you will be restored. This was no longer about Jewish nationalism. This was now about God's kingdom. doesn't make sense. And if we're going to limit ourselves, as we talked last week, if we're going to limit God to just what makes sense to us, we've seriously limited God. But if instead, if instead we want to understand that God is ultimately reasonable, He's ultimately rational, even though I don't always understand it. I think that helps us. Because I think what happens is, some of us are more and more saying, I want to share the gospel, I want to share the gospel, but I'm looking for the perfect opportunity. It's almost like what we want is we want someone to come up to us and say, can you tell me about Jesus? And we're like, oh, good. I got that one. It's clear. It's like, no. We're looking for some perfect opportunity. We're looking for some kind of like setting. And I'm not, I'm going to tell you like, there are people who are the opposite. They try to force gospel sharing into every situation. But I do believe this, that we often miss gospel sharing opportunities. I think we often miss them because we're looking for that perfect scenario. We think that there's some kind of box. We want it to all be in one presentation and we don't realize that that it might have to be something that takes many, 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 many interactions And I think part of our, our maturing as Christians is one is that we want to know the gospel more. We want to understand the gospel more. And that's a lifelong pursuit, by the way. But I think we also always want to be ready. And when I talk about sharing the gospel, I'm not talking about knowing some, some little plan. The plans are helpful. But I'm not talking about... The, the plan. Next week we'll talk more about this, but I'm talking about being ready to share the salvation that you know, the salvation that's proclaimed in the Word, that was accomplished by Jesus Christ, but that you know. You know it. Because you are experiencing it. You can share about the hope that is in you. Not the hope that's out there. The hope that's in you. You can share about how Christ, through His Holy Spirit, has been changing your life. 
Not that he's blessed you with stuff, but that he's transforming you to be more like him. But we often miss these opportunities when we're trying to make sense out of everything. Well, I've already done a lot. I just want to give you three quick points here that we get from this text. And again, you know, part of it is we look at what's going on with Paul. And I want you to notice, Paul's only mentioned like a couple times. And when you have this big scene, it's just like, it's almost like he's an afterthought. Paul was brought in. That's it. But don't forget, from Paul's perspective, all he knows is God wants him to go to Rome. And he wants to go do ministry. But for two years, he's been stuck in the same place. But I think when we get to this scene here, when Paul's brought in, when Paul comes in and Paul... Maybe he knew ahead of time, but maybe not. Maybe when he comes in the room, he, he looks up and he sees Agrippa. He sees Bernice. He sees all the military officers, probably their wives. He sees all the influential men, probably their wives too. And he sees this group and he hears Festus say, okay, speak to them. At that moment, Paul's like, wow, God, your plan is way better than my plan. Your plan is so much better than my plan. My plan was, what's the fastest way I can get to Rome? I couldn't have asked for more than to be standing before the most powerful people and being given just Freedom to say what I want to say. It's awesome. Your plan is so much better. And at that moment, you know, it's that fulfillment, and it's great, but all the way leading up to that moment, what did Paul demonstrate to us that we need to demonstrate when we're trying to follow God, and it doesn't always seem to make sense? And one is, as we talked about last week, to understand that no matter what we think, God is always in control. He is sovereign. Nothing's out of control. Nothing surprises God. He's in control, which means we need to trust Him. We also need to know that God doesn't, I want to say this, well, I was going to say it nicely. not going to say it nicely. God doesn't trust you, okay? God doesn't trust you with the whole plan. Because what happens when we even get a part of the plan? Then we want to just go, okay, God, got the plan. See ya. I'm going to take care of it. What if he gave us the whole plan? We'd be like, all right, God, got the whole plan now. You can go do whatever gods do, and I, I, I'm going to go do it. We would try to manufacture it. We would be like, 
Abraham and Sarah and like, oh man, we don't have any babies. We're getting old. Let's figure out how to have babies. Well, here's a way. God doesn't trust us with the plan. Plus, I think if he gave us the plan, we wouldn't really understand it. We can only understand it piece by piece. Don't assume you have the whole plan. In fact, don't even assume you have the plan. Remember, for Paul to know he was going to go to Rome, he had to have a vision from God. But do know this, God's plan is better than your plan, better than my plan, better than our plan. And know that even if we don't, we only know a piece of it, we know that in that piece to be faithful. Just as Paul was faithful. Paul continued even where he was to do ministry, to love, to teach. He kept doing it. He kept being faithful. The second thing we should see when we see this, this scene where, where now God has worked things out that this, this powerful group of people have convened that Paul's going to get to address. We need to know this. God's plan, if you're confused about God's plan, it's always about the gospel and it's always about his kingdom. God's plan is not simply to bless us. We, you know, I, I've not gone through the pastor's playbook. Um, I don't even have a copy of it. Maybe John does. I don't know. They didn't give me one at seminary. Maybe they didn't trust me with it. But, you know, one of the playbooks is when your church is kind of going through a spell, start a building project. Start a building project. Put a goal out there. Put a number on it. Let's build a building. I was at a church once that they, you know, that's what they did. And I'm not going to tell you the church. It wasn't here. But they, they started a building program. And the building program was to build a gym. Well, the church actually was really good, kind of healthy church in a lot of ways because they had some healthy discussions when kind of the elders came and said, We're gonna, we want to build a gym. People are like, should we be building a gym for ourselves? So like they would have those interactions and then a couple weeks later they'd come back, um, we're building a ministry center that has a gym in it, okay? And then they kept, they kept changing. But what was good about it was they were starting to recognize we wanted to build a gym. That's really what we wanted. But when we started to think about what we are as a church, what we should be as a church, it wasn't about building a gym. It's if we're going to do something, how is it going to help further the gospel? How is it going to help further the kingdom? If it doesn't have those purposes, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? We know that if God is leading, it will always be about the gospel. It will always be about his kingdom. And I'm not saying we we, we would never build. If we're going to build, that's what it's going to be about. 
from the very beginning. It's not going to be, let's build a building and then um, figure out how to use it for God's purposes. It's no, from the very inception, from the first discussion, from the first prayer, it's going to be, God, how can we further your kingdom? And it may or may not include a building. But that's one of the ways, you know, people like churches try to like re-energize themselves. Not me. I want to re-energize us if we need to be re-energized by us becoming more and more in love with knowing God's word, knowing the gospel, wanting to live it, wanting to know God more deeply, know who Jesus is. How can we lift him up? How can we make his name great, not our name great? How can we be and experience that incredible supernatural love that God says we should have for each other? And I don't care if we do it across the street at Petrie Park, if we're all crammed into my house, or we're here or anywhere else, I don't care. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how many. doesn't matter how nice. Because that's what matters. If we're going to be his church, his kingdom, his plan is always about his gospel. It's always about his kingdom. And that still can be confusing because sometimes we can have two or three options that seem to be all supporting the gospel and supporting the kingdom. And the only other advice I could say to you in that is to say, follow God's love. Follow God's love. And sadly, there are some times when people are on the side of doing what's right and doing what God wants, but without love. And we, we, we get caught. We're like, you know, that's right. They're right. They have the right beliefs. They have the right plan, but they're absent of love. And, then, and over here, these guys are all lovey-dovey, but they're totally wrong. What am I going to do? And anybody who's been in church for any period of time, you know you face this. You need to follow truth. You need to follow what's right. But if one side is wrong, and they're, they're, but they kind of seem to have love right, the other side is right, but their love is wrong, don't choose a side. They're both wrong. Make a third way. Make the right way. Stand for truth. Stand for the gospel. Stand for the kingdom. But do it immersed in love. I don't, you know, as doing action points, I don't have one for every point, but let me just give you one for this. If you want to be this action point that his plan is always about the gospel, it's always about the kingdom, then what we need to do is we need to get ready. We need to be ready. If you're not ready to share the gospel and you know if I'm following God and his plan, it's always about the gospel, it's always about the kingdom, get ready. If you are ready, then then. Don't just be ready to share. Share. Every opportunity. And as I said earlier, 
it's not just about knowledge. It's about living consistently with the gospel we are professing. And then the last point. The last point is, again, you see this this scene in verse 22 through 27 where all of these people have been, have been gathered and, and you know, the, the way Luke describes it, Paul is just tiny. He's small. He's just, Paul was brought in. It's all about Festus talking. It's all about all these important people who've come. And here in this pompous, almost outrageous scene, this huge show of power by Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, God has gathered them because of His grace. He is full of grace even for the pompous and the arrogant and the immoral. He is full of grace. He gives them this opportunity to hear from perhaps the greatest representative and the greatest communicator of the gospel. They get a personal audience with him. These people that are supposedly so powerful, so sophisticated, so educated, they get to hear the gospel from this Paul, who's a Roman citizen, but also deeply educated in Judaism who is this this pioneering, adventurous, go out there, man of faith, go to all over the empire. They They get a personal audience with him. God, full of grace. These hypocrites. These Bernice and Agrippa in this you know, in the midst of this incestuous relationship that even the rest of the Romans found kind of disgusting. God loves even them. It's the Bible verse you always see that I think, unfortunately, the more we see Bible verses, the less we understand them. But you always see it at, you know, football games. I think it's kind of come out of not as popular, where people are holding up John 3.16. And God so loves the world. So loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth. The Gospel in a nutshell. The Gospel now. Opportunity given to the most powerful people here. God, full of grace. And let me just let you understand this. Even though the world doesn't think of you this way, let me help you understand this. Those of you who are becoming more and more in love with God's Word, You're being more and more affected by the gospel. You're being more and more equipped to share the gospel. You are God's grace to this world. God loves this world so much that He leaves you in it to present the gospel. The world might think you're an irritant. The world might think you're a pest. 
The world might think you're stubborn. Let me tell you, if the world thinks that, it's not a curse of the modern age. There is a letter. There's a letter that was found, I think it's from the second century. And it's a Roman citizen writing to another Roman citizen. And I think it's a woman. And she's complaining about Christians. She's like, you know what these guys do? They just walk up to you on the street and they're not even in our same social class and they start talking to you. And they start acting like they know all this stuff. They're not even respecting our social norms. Now, we know a lot of Romans became Christians. But at the same time, there are a lot of Romans that were irritated by Christians. But understand, you are God's grace to the world. Because you can bring the gospel into any situation. Following God's plan when we don't understand. Sometimes God provides little lights or steps ahead. Sometimes he gives us the next phase. But sometimes he says, just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. And wherever you are, live the gospel. Know the gospel. Share the gospel.